Fantastic. Good. We're going to begin uh, with, uh, with prayers <laughs> because we're going to need it. And uh, it's a good group. If you're, the better you can move toward me, it's easier for me. It may not be easier for you, <laughs> but it's easier for me, right? So think about that while I pray and everyone closes their eyes for 30 seconds. <laughs> Father, you're a gracious God, and there are two things that you want us to do, make disciples and prepare for the future. As we look toward what you're doing in this world, we also see what you're preparing us for in the future. They cannot be separated. And so we thank you, God, for that energy, the empowerment that comes from your spirit, and the skills that are necessary that you have given us the capacity to learn so that we can develop one another into your image, the creative design that you have impacted the world with. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't see one person move, and so that is a waste of prayer. I'm going to do two things uh, that I'm going to be pretty deliberate and pretty, uh, what would you say, equal. You know, like I'm going to... I'm going to create a context for discipleship, and, and it's not going to be a context of read your Bible, pray. It's going to be a different kind of context, and so I want to, if, even, even, if I, even if I only knock the stool from underneath your, you know, what you're resting on in terms of the way that you think about discipleship, boom, chakalaka, I win. If I can also inform that in such a way that I can help you develop people with a new context, then, I, then it's winner, winner, chicken dinner. So we'll do that. And then at the end, what I'd hope to be able to do is to merge them together into some kind of a system that you could at least begin to practice and prepare for. So when you leave this place, you go back and take all the information that you've gotten, which has been fantastic, you'll be able to at least have some, what did you say, little ex action plans that you have developed that we're going to begin to something, right? So uh, using coaching principles for discipleship relationships, I love coaching. It's one of the things that I'm, what would you say, naturally gifted at. And so it's always been pretty easy for me. I love to ask questions. I love people. I love to push. I love, I love to, I'm curious, all those things. So coaching is a thing that I've developed. I've created better skills or, you know, practice better skills. skills. But the thing that I'm passionate about, right, if it wasn't for discipleship, coaching to me would just be another skill set, right? But if you connect it with discipleship, now my, now my mind is going boom, right? Because how can we, in a world, in a world where there are so many, what would you say, competing voices, not just about what discipleship is, but, but how to go about it. And in this, I'll say, I was going to say postmodern, I think the more accurate word now is advanced modernity, where truth where truth is something that is, people long for truth, but they can't pin it down. So, you know, you go into your church and you go, here's what the Bible says, and then someone says, prove it. Prove it that the Bible says it, or prove it that it's true. 
right? And how does that impact people? And so we have to approach people with an entirely different framework if we're going to do discipleship. Now, if you can just slam something down somebody's throat with a sermon, boom, you're in. But that's getting less useless, right? You just can't do that. You can't win people and help them grow toward Jesus by telling them what to do. So coaching now becomes a skill set. And when I say coaching, there's there's no possible way that after this you're going to go, I know how to coach. You're going to know what you need to practice. Okay? You might have some skills that you could say, this is what I'm going to work on. And I'm going to try to synthesize the coaching methodology so that I believe, at least what I found in my congregation, I can present and develop people on the floor to do the coaching, right? To do the discipleship coaching. So that's what my hope would be. So let's go ahead, uh, Mark. What makes a disciple? Now listen, you're going to see three things on the screen. Yeah, there he is. Uh, that may make you uncomfortable. We're all Pentecostals in the room. We all love revival. We all like anything to do with an altar call, (laughs) having people respond. We're we're fundamentally anchored to, you know, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just going to say to you, as a credential holder, at least for now, uh, until I finish this (laughs) statement, (laughs) But, but as a credential holder and someone who studied for quite a bit about these kinds of dimensions, what the thing, three things that you see on this screen, revivals, altar calls, and spirit baptisms, what they do is they create either a moment of empowerment or a moment of awareness. What they don't create is a disciple. So when we and I hear, you hear, you know, the answer to America or the answer to the circumstances that we face around the globe is that we need a revival, I'm all in for that moment of awareness, that presence of God that brings clarity for us to have an encounter with God, that not only opens our minds and our eyes, but perhaps even changes the viewpoint or the way in which, the lens in which we see things. That can happen. That's supernatural empowerment. That's supernatural transformation. That is not discipleship. That is a beginning, a context, a new awareness for discipleship to happen. So that when someone comes and says, I raised my hand at an altar call because I felt the conviction of God to convince me that I am dead to my sins, chained to the bondage of hell and darkness, and I come running to the altar in repentance, what they're saying is, I'm aware. And I'm ready to change. But somebody's got to reach into that place and lead them into obedience. Go ahead, uh, Mark. Lead them into the obedience that's necessary for discipleship. So when Jesus commands us to make disciples, he doesn't say, 
give good altar calls, have revivals, or get people baptized in the Holy Spirit. What he says is, teach them to obey. Now, obedience has to be... Now, remember, I'm making a very contextual distinction between the empowerment of the Spirit and the obedience that we have as the hard work of work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Got it? So we, as Pentecostals, are empowered by the Spirit to hear Him in an encounter, to experience Him with presence, but it is our responsibility to respond to that encounter with obedience. What will I do differently than I was doing before? So repentance without change is not repentance. It's just dialogue. So if someone runs to the altar and says, I repent, repent of what? And what will you do? Now, go ahead, Mark, give me another one. I gave these to you. I threw them in the last minute. Just I thought we ought to have some, maybe some framework. Look, I'm not saying this is exhausted. I'm not saying you can't add anything. You don't have to buy it. I just, for my own discipleship coaching, when I put in my mind someone coming in and saying, help me grow, what I'm looking to do is to reach for some practices that, that are generally attributed to what it looks like to be in Christ. So Jesus says forgive. Jesus says to live in unity. Jesus looks to, to us to say have vulnerable relationships. In other words, love one another. Sexual purity. Gifted participation. In other words, to conform to Christ means literally to function as Christ in the earth. Right? So when we function together, uh, Dele uh, did such a magnificent job <laughs> this last session. It blew my mind. It was fantastic if you weren't in here. Uh, listen to it. But he was talking about ap apostles, prophets, and teachers, and all the commissions and commissions and omissions. <laughs> I don't know. It got, got confusing there for a minute. But it was great. And But th there's this idea that somehow we have to, we have, to, to have something to, to reach for and so usually when I, what I've found is that when someone is in the developmental stage, and this is, you know, from stem to stern, when we get buried, we stop developing, right? There's always some little bit of something that the Holy Spirit's constantly working on. And they usually fall within these, what do I have, seven, seven practices where people, you know, right, where they live. This morning, I was, I, was, I was in that worship. It was so magnificent. I was, I just, maybe you felt it too. At one point, I just felt like, you know how this feels? The Holy Spirit just entered the room. You can't, you can't describe it like, you know, is this or that, but you just, right? And then when he comes, he never comes just to come, right? He never enters the room to encounter us just to encounter us and go, hey, just missed you. Although I suppose that's part of it, but look, I'm, I want you to be closer. And, and so whenever I feel that, my automatic discipleship thought is, Jesus, look at me and give me something that I need to 
and immediately, and I can say this to you, I'm 66 years old, I've got a church for 30 years, I'm not looking for nothing else. <laughs> so I'll be a little vulnerable. I have a capacity to be pretty judgmental about stuff, something I've worked on, probably from trauma in my life. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm better at it. I do, I don't, I don't judge as badly or horribly or, you know, negatively. But there's still that little moment of, I could do it better. Or it would be better if it were. Or let me make a judgment about that. Or somebody hand me the microphone because I could say it more clearly. I know. Yeah, it's control. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and it invades my spirit like, like a virus. Discipleship is getting out of it. Like, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I don't want to have that thought anymore. I don't want to respond that way anymore. Not that I'm going to be able to get out of it, or I can repent of it, or Jesus will forgive me. Of course he will. I don't want to be that guy anymore. Right? I don't want to be the guy who looks at someone and says, and is critical. I don't want to be the guy. So there has to be not just an awareness of I don't want to be the guy, but now I've got to start thinking, and immediately I did, what do I need to do differently than I'm doing right now? What do I need to change, right? So go ahead, Mark, give me a, another slide. Let me, let me uh, just give you this uh, fun little, it'll preach if you're a preacher, but <laughs> have fun with this. But uh, I heard someone uh, describe discipleship uh, in a couple different ways, and so I just gathered them. But there's trying. Like, you ever hear someone say, I'm going to just try. I'm, I'm bound to pornography. I just going to try harder not to be bound. What do you usually end up seeing with someone like that? They're continued to be bound to whatever they're bound to because trying never gets it. You do something without a clear understanding of the requirements that are necessary, the changes necessary to reach the objective. Or, as I have heard uh, someone <laughs> recently talk about their little dog that needed uh, a trainer, right? So they got this little dog, and the guy teaches it some rollover tricks. Like, you know, come here, Trixie, you know, roll over and play dead. And the dog rolls over and plays dead. Well, he takes the dog to the trainer, and he thinks, you know, the, the trainer's going to be somewhat impressed with this dog's little tricks. And... The trainer just looked at me and says, your dog's not trained. All your dog knows is tricks. Now, I want you to think about your experience in church and how you've grown and where you haven't. So most of us, my generation, grew up in an environment where if you wanted to develop, disciple, grow, you try. Anybody ever try to play the piano that you don't know how to pl play the piano? Right? You say, I'm going to play the piano. I have no idea how to play the piano. I'm going to sit down at the piano. I'm going to try to play it. Or I'm going to try to shoot ten in a row on the hoops, right? I'm going to try. Well, you know, you're going to try all day. You're never going to get any better. Practicing that way never gets you better. Have you ever uh, been taught? Uh, my mother was a organ church organist for 40 years. And so she taught us all how to play the piano. And, you know, of course, she tells you, she gives you lessons. Well, I want to play basketball. I want to play piano. And so 
I said, just teach me a couple things. And so she taught me, probably like many of you, chopsticks, right? So I'm four years old. I know chopsticks, and everybody comes over to the house, and we're having dinner and fellowship. And, and my mom says, hey, Dutchie, get on, a, get on the piano and play chopsticks. And I get on there, I play pretty good, right? Everybody claps. Do I know how to play the piano? What I do, what do I know? A trick. So now I'm, I'm not going to make all the connections for you, but how many times do we just have a church full of people who know the tricks of the trade, and they have no concept about what it really means to walk and follow Jesus? I know the stuff to say. I know when to raise my hand. I know when to get out of the building before the pastor asks for the money. I know all of those things, right? I know how, oh, 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 let me get you even in more in your pockets. Let's talk about money. I know how to tithe, but I don't know how to be generous. Right? Yeah, you got, oh, man, that's a pet peeve for me. And my people just say, oh, gosh, I hope he doesn't play, you know, start talking about money again. Mm, you know. Look, I'm happy. I'm happy for tithers. It's a good discipline. But tithing is not generosity, for goodness sake. And I don't, okay, so training. I get you know, all the pastors are going, shut up now. <laughs> shut up now. So training involves intentional re- activity. It, it, inter- it, it makes us go, okay, look, I'm going to train my fingers to go according to the music. That's training. I'm going to get a teacher to come alongside of me and train me. That's, you know, develop me, right? Critique me. Practice this, right? Nobody likes to, but at the end of the day, When you sit down, I can't, but when you sit down at the piano and play beautifully, and and it not only is a joy to everyone that hears it, but it's a joy to to you as you experience the freedom, language, the freedom to be able to play beautifully, that's from training, right? So the discipleship goal isn't to get you aware of, here's where I have to go so that I can grit my teeth every time that happens. No, the goal of training is to create an environment or a practice skill set so that every time it happens, you do it naturally. So that when my enemy strikes me on the face, My natural reaction isn't to hit him back. My natural reaction in a transformed discipleship trained humanity is to say, no, brother, here's my other. What can I do for you? How can I respond to you in a godly way that will redeem this moment, not for violence, but redeem this moment for the future. Yay? Yay. Next, Mark. So here's just very quickly, what time is it? Good. I'm on track. God never intended for his people to be corrupted. This is the story of redemption. So when we think about the framework of discipleship, think about corruption. God never intended his creation. Next, uh, Mark. God created us in his image. He empowered us with his presence. And in order, to, and, and he did that in order to put us on, 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 on display to be his glory. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the tabernacle had all of the elements, all the imagery of the created garden, Garden of Eden. 
So if you went into the tabernacle, what you would see is the recreation story over again in a redemptive nature. So reminding the children of Israel, here's what I created, and here's what I'm redeeming you for. Well, let me just ask, who's the temple now? Okay, so when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about recreating God's original intention for humanity so that it looks like heaven on earth. So it's not about, okay, I'm an old school guy, right? I grew up in the church, you know, don't go, what, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls who do, that, you know, that one, right? And so there were all these legalistic things. My, sometimes the church says to me, Pastor, you, you, your childhood must have been horrific. You got so much luggage. I'm like, no, it really wasn't that bad, but it didn't help me to understand transformation. It helped me to understand rules. It helped me to understand boundaries. It helped me to develop hooks. Okay? But when someone walks into your church, the goal would be that they see God's original intention for humanity on display in your life or your life or your community with the hope that somehow that they could belong to that, that, that they could enter into that kind of dynamic where the flourishing power, the, 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 the no lack, the no sweat kind of creative power that God put on the earth to give him glory, right? Well, if you have too small of a vision, all you're thinking is, well, how do we get people saved then? Goodness, folks, that's all they can get. Salvation is not you getting your sins forgiven, although it's included. It's a great beginning. But getting the chains set free is the opportunity to move. So when Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, it was for freedom you've been set free. What's the freedom that we have? The freedom, okay, to be the future today. What God is creating us for is not going to heaven, okay? He's creating us as a people who will function with him forever in the eternal cosmos under the leadership of Jesus, our King, leading us into experiments and and, and expressions that blow our mind and colors that we haven't even begun to understand with bodies that are no longer bound by corruption and decay. And so most people think resurrection is some kind of, you know, I become a spirit ghost or something like that. No, you have a physical body. The only difference between your body now and your resurrected body is that it's not corrupt anymore. So what is the process? Come on, give me another one, uh, Mark, thank you. The discipleship process is taking off corruption and putting on incorruption. Now I'm going to push a button 
couple buttons, hopefully. Once again, not because you're doing anything wrong or I'm being accusa- I have an accusation, but I hear this and it, it stirs me to say something like this. So in my church, we do recovery, we do mental health, we got veterans, I got broken people. You came to my church, it's a mess. So if you're going to disciple people who are broken, addicts, mental health issues, I'll just keep on creating the mess for you, transgender dysphoria, same-sex relationships. Now here's what I hear the church saying, and I'm, I, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Okay? Learn how to stand up against that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, look, <laughs> I, I, I hear that. I, I, I hear that. My question is, not how do I, I, I know how to stand up for it. The question is, how do I disciple people through it? So if you want everybody who knows all the rules and you're going to disciple them and, you know, I was always trying to disciple some older gal that had been transferred to the church. And I said, well, you know, let's talk about discipleship. She goes, well, I'm a good girl. I went, oh, my God, how did I get this job? You're just a good girl? That's what you are? You're a good girl? You mean you don't want to be bold and tell me? what you wrestle with just because you don't look like that, 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 that. I was trying to help disciple her into a ministry where she would actually give her life away to somebody besides herself. But no, I can't identify with them, so I can't disciple them. I'm just saying, you know, think about Jesus for half a second, right? Okay? So, uh, go ahead, Mark. You're just going to see some scripture here. You probably already put it in your notes. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. There you go. Mark, give me another one. The story of redemption. God never intended his people to be lacking. Right? So he gave us everything. Here's a scripture that will back that up. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Right? The promises enable you to share in the divine nature everything he's given. Right? You're not lacking one thing. Go ahead, Mark. Give me another one. God never intended for his people to wander Let's just pause here for half a second. You know, the greatest story of redemption is the story of the Exodus. Pre, you know, Jesus, of course. But, you know, even Jesus and the Gospel of Mark, let's just say, is, is, uh, what would you say, uh, shaped to look to the Israelites like Moses. That's the great story. That's the great redemptive historical narrative of Israel. Moses and the Exodus. So Moses, right, goes in and says, come on out, right? Pharaoh lets them go after all of the stuff, right? You know the story or saw the movie. And say, it doesn't get any better than this. And, and at the end, you know, they cross the Red Sea. It's the whole big deal, right? And they get to the, they get to the promised land. Now, what do you think the point of the Exodus was? To get out of jail free? To escape the bondage? Or to get into the promised land. Yeah, right? 
the great sin of Israel. God says, hey, I took you out, I got you here, now go on in and I'll give you the land. And what they say? Okay, so now, just take that with this statement. God never intended anyone to wander around. So I got my sin forgiven, great escape. But you're not to wander around. That's not what God intended. God intended for you to enter into his great and precious promises. And if you don't do that, you're being rebellious and God will lead you, but he'll lead you around in circles until you die. And so the Israelites wandered around the wilderness and said, here, there's Uncle Joe, there's Uncle Pete, there's Uncle Frank. Finally, all the uncles are dead and we get to go in. Right? Do you wonder why a church now, again, pushing me, I know this is pushing me. Do you wonder why a church looks like the spiral going down the toilet? And you ask Jesus, what are you doing? He goes, I'm helping the process. So that we can do something new. Okay, let's talk about coaching for a while. So we got the <laughs> All I wanted to do is provoke you. You don't have to like me or like it, right? But it should stimulate your mind, and you could say, I know, my father used to say, that's a great thought, but learn a different way to say it. Okay, so I get it. Why coaching? Coaching is a relational partnership with a disciple that stimulates spiritual transformation, you can see it, through a custom customizable action plan that addresses their unique context and, and it creates an action plan that creates a pathway, right, for the disciple to walk. Now, all I can say is that there's no one and good coaching action plan. There is, and this is why coaching in the discipleship realm is so powerful and effective and really the resource still to reach for is because all throughout, I mean, if, you, if you're interested in discipleship, you get on, you know, discipleship stuff, classes, I've been in all of them, or we read a discipleship book, and I'm not being critical, but like there's somebody who drives now has seven, you know, things of discipleship, I'm cool with it, read it, it's great. It doesn't create disciples, that's my only point. That's my, that's the gist. Like, I can tell you about what a disciple is supposed to look like all day long, but nobody knows how to get one. Kind of like, here's the, lead, here's the seven leadership traits. Well, thank you very much, but how do we develop it? Right? Just smile at me and go, yeah, I'm still with you, right? <laughs> and so, it's not that the information is bad. The information is abundant. What's not abundant are the skill sets and the capacity for someone to walk with someone to help them get there. And, you know, say, well, just follow me, you know. And quite honestly, if that worked, and it would work, if people were actually available to A, one, be followed in, a, in an environment where you could actually could follow them, it might work. But coaching now, re it relies on the, on the context of the person that says, where are you? And what would help you to move forward? Now, coaching in its essence is a skill set that you could become, you know, a life coach, a career coach, you know, a sport coach. I'm, I, 
carry on. I'm, I, I have been in all the tracks I could easily be a professional coach. I have no desire to be a professional coach. I want to help people grow. I want to disciple people. So I don't need that stuff for helping people to grow. Here's a drug addict. Let's sit down. Let's talk. What's the action plan? Where are you right now? How can I add value? How can I hear you? How can I understand? Let's shape a plan and get you moving forward. Your plan, not mine. I'm just helping you come up with it. Good? So we're going to keep on going. Mark? So I, there's all kinds of, you know, books on coaching. All you have to do is go on Amazon and go coaching, and uh, you'll get a bunch of books. And there's a lot of good resources. Is there somebody that got into coaching federation? It's magnificent. International Book Coaching Federation is another one. All those things are available. This is my stuff, so I feel pretty comfortable giving it to you free. Two words. When I think of coaching or any kind of discipleship development, I think three words. Clarify. What is God doing? What is God speaking? What is He saying? What should we be hearing? Clarify. What does God want us to do? Then, conform. How do I obey? What does it look for, like for me to do that thing that God is speaking? And then connect. How do I connect what God is doing in my life with someone else? Now, if you miss any one of those three steps, you've just missed discipleship. Because discipleship is not just about you becoming more like Christ. It's preparing you so that you can help someone else be like Christ. And this is where the probably most of the energy falls off the room. I'm interested in me. Jesus is interested in everybody. Right? So get your narcissistic idea out of your head, like I have to, right? Jesus, I want to grow, I want to have an inheritance, I want to have a treasure, I want to, I want to be on the glory golden road. You've already been secured and deposited that you're on, right? You got it. The way to grow is to help somebody else. You don't help anyone else, you don't develop. Full stop. Okay? That's all part of it. Teach them to obey and make disciples. Go, go, go. So clarify, conform, connect. And you see the, well, hold on just a second, Mark. You see the hourglass. That's a very familiar coaching symbol, right? Clarifying, conforming. It's this work through the question. So when we talk, go ahead, Mark. Give me another one. Clarify. This is questions and answers. So you're, you're active listening. These are the skill sets. I'm, I probably, you're, you're just going to have to take good notes. Or you can have these. You're welcome. Active listening is compassionate curiosity. Let me hear you what I'm hearing. Let me make sure that what I'm hearing is what you're saying. Help me to clarify your voice. What is it that you're trying to say to me? And look, if you just allow it to be, you know, some... You know, we always talk about in the coaching moment, like creating trust. And uh, if you can't be vulnerable, you're, someone you're coaching isn't going to be vulnerable. So you're taking a moment to just listen, not judge, 
Not come up with questions and answers. Not coming up with ways or programs or action plans. You're listening because you don't know nothing yet until you actually hear that person. Sitting in a room, transgender kid, I said, I want to take, and I had to discipline myself, one hour, we're going to sit, and I want you to tell me your story. And when I'm hearing the story of where and how he got to be where he is as a she or thinking she, and whether or not I agree with it, like it, want to stand against it, here's a kid that God loves and doesn't want to go to hell, right? And not by any fault or choice of his own, he's sitting here across this room with me. I got a choice to make. Either I can tell him, hey, listen, reframe your life according to this, you know, master plan structure of what human beings are supposed to look like, or get out of the room. Come in. Tell me how you got there. Because we're going to work on how you're going to get out of here, even though you don't even think you need to get out of here. And we're going to make that room so big and so open and so maneuverable so that when we walk to the action plan, it may only be, I want more information, or I want to keep on coming, or can I, right? Will I be welcome here? Go ahead, Mark. Good questions help the person to unravel. You don't ask questions to solve. You want people to think and rethink where they're at. The powerful questions always turn things back on them. Okay? So when we're talking about conforming, so clarifying, those are the questions. When we talk about confirming the issue, after we've listened and we've asked questions, good questions that help draw out information, you know, like what a trampoline, a great uh, assembly of God coach evangelist, and I've had him come to my church and train my people like at least a half a dozen times. And uh, he'd always, he always goes like this. He's in the room, yet, you know, you're talking, and it goes silent, and he goes, what else? And I'm like, I just pulled my chest. What else? And you know, there's always something else. But if you don't make room for something else, you won't hear something else. So you ask those questions. So I say, what? At some point, you're listening, you know, whatever that is, in multiple sessions, or I don't know, maybe you know, maybe it takes a while, right? There's no like time period. So you're talking. At some point, you're going to come to a place where you're going to go, okay, how can I help you? What's the outcome here? What are you looking to do? And what you're looking for is not something vague, like you know, I want to be a better dad. Or, you know, something like that. Well, my, my example, I want to grow spiritually. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know. I can't even begin to understand and unpack what that means, right? I want you to be more specific, and I'm going to ask questions of what it is that you, when you say you want to grow spiritually, you tell me what that looks like. And usually you're going to get something like, if you did and this is practice, and it's a skill set. Did I say that before? Yeah. Okay, so you're eventually you're looking to get stuff like, I want to overcome my fear of praying out loud in my small group. Now, notice what's not on the paper. I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to, right? We're talking about 
specific, ordinary stuff. That impacts all the other stuff. You don't not do that. Right? But you do things now that are specific, specifically oriented to the change that you want. So here's an example. Here's a guy. He's standing out here. He's shooting hoops. And the coach says, don't come in until you hit 10 in a row. So the guy's trying as hard as he can. And he's just standing out there. Can't get 10 in a row. Get 10 in a row. Get 10 in a row. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Finally, someone, a coach, comes along and says, you know, if you do put your elbow in and align your elbow with the basket, you're going to make more hits. It's a specific action. Every top performer in any field, pick the field, doesn't matter. Every top performer in any field practices the same amount of time as mediocre, right, performers. You know what the difference between mediocre performers and supernatural superstar performers are? What they do when they practice. Everybody runs that. Everyone practices this skill. But the top performers with a coach come up with the specific, detailed, what? Practice things that they need to say, in this tournament, here's what I need to be able to do. This specific skill I need to have and I need to practice that. And the reason why they're successful and they win is because they're training to win, not just improve their weekend game. Got it? Okay. So then you uh, uh, conform, you construct a plan. And so here's some stuff to explore, activities. You're looking at the kind of things that we just reimagined there. And <coughs> and uh, all of that you can... Let me just look at the last one. Objections or hesitancy that someone might cause. And just know this, you know, you'll, you'll see it. I mean, in every conversation you have, someone will stop. And they're like, yeah, not ready to commit, not ready to do this, not ready to go forward. No, no. Those kind of objections, what they're looking for is more clarity or more understanding. Right? That's an invitation for you to type, okay, let's explore some more. Because, right, you know, it's the other way. Connecting, people will only connect to an action plan when they're convinced of the benefit. So there has to be some kind of sizzle, like, when you're coaching, you're talking to someone, even for redemptive for the redemptive purposes of God, what will happen to you as a dad if you practice this skill of being present in the room, or you, you know, quit going on your bowling night or whatever it is, or you, you know, finally sell all the softball equipment when you're 67 years old, and so I think I'll actually be present in the room. And am I hitting anybody? I hit a lot of people at my church, so it's okay. Right, all the activities that we do when we're not present. And when you actually when you actually do those things, right, what you want to project, what do you think your marriage will look like? How will your kids respond to you? What will the dinner table conversation be if you, right? You want some sizzle on that. So you're always projecting that preferred or better or reached future that you're grabbing for because that's what you're, that's the only reason that's gonna, they're going to do it, right? If that doesn't happen, what do you want to have happen? I want my kids to respect me. What do you have to do? I've got to 
Okay, what does that respect look like? How will you know when you got it? When they come running to me in the evening after I come home from work and my kids jump in my arms and go, Dad, we're glad you're home. Okay, let's get that moment. And we're going to prepare for you to get that moment. That's what we're coaching for. And you say, what's that got to do with spiritual transformation? <laughs> what do you think? Like everything. Right? Like it's helping us to be who God created us to be. Okay? With me? Connecting, transforming, power of community, who will the person include? Spiritual trans- transformation is always achieved in relationships with God and with others. And there's never a with God without others. Like, what do you mean? I'm just with God? No, you're not, because no one else is in the room. I mean, you know, not literally, but I'm saying you have to be connected, right? So, uh, those should be pretty carefully out there. So, what did I... <laughs> I, got lost. I said I would never get lost in my time. Am I done? What time do I have to be done? I have 15 more minutes? Yeah, perfect. That's what I was waiting That's what I was hoping for. That's what I trained for. That's what I have, yeah, right. So let's talk about systems and processes because this might be helpful to some of you. So when we talk about assimilating new believers or new attenders into a functioning participant, what I'm suggesting is that while there may be, there are pathways, you know, there are processes, you know, classes to take. Traditionally, and this is a beef I've got, Right? So I remember when I was, uh, when I first started doing coaching as, you know, kind of like that was my thing. And I would get involved in the development of processes. And I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember uh, Rick Warren's base path. Remember that one, two, three, and then the somebody that got bought it from him, made it our own, right? And he's like, yeah, this is great. So we would have these uh, big strategic deals where people will come to a meeting like this. And we say, okay, we're going to have the base path Base path number one is membership. Base path number two is maturity. Base path number three is ministry. Base path number four is mission, right? Okay, so you get the home plate, you're on mission. And put this boundaries work. We had it all figured out. It was, it was actually quite sweet. I liked it, right? And then you would teach a class, 101, 201, 301, 401, and that would help them along the base path. Okay, so then you release the church to go actually go out and do it. Now, I'm just telling you, as someone who not only survived it, but was part of it, right? Okay, so, so you take the church and you go, okay, let's go, right? And we're going to do, you know, 101, 201, 301. We're going to do this base path thing in our church. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the anomaly. Do you know that where everyone, where every, you would go into a church and they'd have, let's just say, here's how we're going to implement. We're going to have a Wednesday night, and on Wednesday night we're going to have, you know, Stacy's here for, you know, this is, this is a workshop on, 101 membership, this is 201 maturity, here's serving, here's home place. And you go in and you go, okay, let me just observe, coach, watch, see, okay. You know where everyone lands? Land bid? No, no takers? Yes? Base path number two. Maturity. So you would walk into the room. Let's just say this room. One, two, Three, four on the practice. No one's on the practice. One, maybe some new people don't know the program yet, haven't learned the trick yet. They're on one, learning about the church. 
saying hello to the pastor. Number three, serving, who wants to serve? That's good, right? Nobody wants to serve, nobody does. But base path number two, maturity, that was overwhelming success. And you know why? Because it always involved a book study. Can you respond in any way other than that uninformed look that you're giving me? <laughs> you know why small group, I'm just going to show all my dirty laundry. You know why small groups fail so bad? Every church, every church says small groups, every church fails in small groups. It's just tough. Right. Uh, because of Bible study. Yeah, I know you're there. Because people love to come around in an environment where they can learn about the Bible and not have to do one single thinking thing and not have to be in relation with one other person and not be vulnerable in any distinct or humiliating way in which another human being would actually see them for who they really are and they stagnate, they freeze, and then, you, then, then the pastor's job is, okay, we just want small groups, and now I've got to bust them up again. And everybody gets ticked off because they just found a new friend. Now I'm getting snarky because it's getting close to the end, and I know I don't have to look at it too long. <laughs> I'm just giving you some stuff to take home and think about, right? And so what we're looking to do is to create embedded in your processes ought to be coaching conversations that you or the person who's doing the conversation may not even be equipped to respond or come up with all the things, but are networked enough so that they can move it either up or out or over or whatever to someone else. Right? So at the altar, a coaching conversation. It's, um, I think Probably that might be a familiar. Okay, so at the altar. You got altar workers. Altar workers are praying with somebody, hopefully in a team of, as Dave said last week, maybe an apostolic and, you know, a prophetic and you've got a compassion person. You want you want teams of people praying, not one on one. If I you know that take that one away. Right? You want you want a, you want multiple gifts surrounding someone in need, right? And so you have multiple gifts surrounding someone in need, and you're listening to the story of brokenness and, and addiction and bondage and corruption, all the stuff that comes and spews, when you actually create an environment where people trust you enough to open their mouth, right, and tell you what's going on in their life, which if you do that, then you have to prepare for all this stuff, right? Okay, so here's this stuff, and you know, until you get it. And, and the person who's listening is going... Holy Lord, you know, I'm not equipped to this. I don't even know how to respond to this. I'm going to pray, you know, boom. And they boop, but they have somewhere that they can bump it to and go, I just had a conversation with somebody. You need to have another conversation. Or you need to have a conversation. Or somebody else, right? So I'm constantly out. I'll, I'll do triage all day long during the altar. After a sermon, someone comes up and says, Hey, hey, how do you do it? Listen. You know, can we come see you, Pastor? Oh, heck no, I don't know nothing about that. But I do know somebody who does. And they can have a coaching conversation with you to figure out how we can get you on an action plan 
that would actually help you to move forward. And the action plan may be, okay, go to counseling, action plan, or do something different, or research more, or whatever that action plan is. And there's going to be multiple, multiple, multiple phases, right? So your system that you have already can be embedded, or you can create coaching systems where people move through conversations. So when we talk about assimilation in my house, I'm not talking about whether or not, I mean, look, we do all the stuff that everybody else does. You know, you send the guest mail, you send the text going, hey, thanks for being here. Here's a piece of chocolate. Thank you for coming. What I'm looking for, I don't care about that stuff anymore. I'm 66 years old. I'm 30, I've been doing this for 30 years. You think I'm worried about how, what the quality of our chocolate is at this time? No, 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 no. I don't even care if guests come at this point in my life, right? I just want to help Jesus move forward. Someone comes in and I'm triaging and going, hey, listen, what's going on in your life? And the simulation process isn't about, here's all the mechanics of we send the letters or we do the stuff, but here are the conversations that we want you to have with people so that we can understand who you are before you ever, you know who we are, you've been online. Let us tell you, and under, I'm sorry, let us ask questions to find out who you are. That's the value of coaching. You're, you're, you're reaching for redemption by acknowledging the value of everyone's story so that when someone walks out of the place, they can say with certain confidence, I don't like the pastor. I didn't like the music. I'm not sure I'm in with the theology. But one thing I can guarantee you is they saw me. That's my thing. They saw me for who I am, and they didn't blink. Now, the rest of the stuff you have, right? Good. Every encounter is a last one. Every encounter is an opportunity. Coaching skills. Boom. You got it. Okay, so we got a couple more. Hard with questions, but if you have one, yeah? Thinking that how thorough I was. <laughs> yeah, good. Any coaching people who are sort of breaking the rules because they don't have expectations or because they don't become better people and you don't want to run them out? How do you coach the other people who, who don't want that? Who don't want to become? Who, who don't want you to be welcoming to the people who are striving, but are obviously breaking oh. the big thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's not the answer. Say goodbye. <laughs> Say goodbye. Hey, look, here, here's what we do here. You don't like this? Now, I'm saying that, and I always get in trouble for doing this. Remember, I've been at this church for 30 years. They couldn't fire me if they wanted to. <laughs> I'm just saying if you've been there for 30 days, don't say nothing bad. <laughs> don't do nothing bad. Just take your time, be patient. But really, what, what I would, uh, now, now, unsnarky answer. Let's bring it back. We're doing this no matter what. My job now is to convince people with stories of redemption 
So we started having celebrate people come in. Celebrate recovery is what we do. We've got about 80 to 100 people showing up every Tuesday night. We feed them, and they, we've got a whole deal. Okay. Mental health, same way. Have, have the mental health agencies come in and say, you know, we start talking about mental health. People felt comfortable. They start inviting their mental health friends. Okay, so now I've got a whole room full of broken people. When I, <laughs> if you know anything about mental health, uh, this is an assembly of God thing, I think. Uh, or maybe it's just a holiness thing. When I first, <laughs> when I first, when we first started having people with recovery come in, right, and they're, they're heroes, they're going to sit. Well, you know, they're not doing heroin at the moment, but they're smoking three packs of cigarettes in like 45 minutes, right? And so they're coming into the celebrate as an alternative to going to jail, right? It's a court-appointed right process. And so they're standing out in the, in the, in the parking thing, right, smoking, you know, three packs of cigarettes and saying, I have this butt on the floor, on the ground. So I'm like, yeah, you know, okay, so I got a little bit of weirdo ADHD on me too, you know, and so, hey, you know, hey, listen, you can't flush, you can't flush cigarette butts on the toilet, and you can't throw them on the sidewalk. Come on, right? So I buy the cone, you know, I put them out on Sunday morning. Because we have a five-minute break between worship, you know, singing and the preaching. And so it became known as the smoke break. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, put the phones out and tell those people that they can't smoke in front of the door. Right? So they're smoking off. Oh, maybe dozens of people all out there. You think you're going to the, uh, you know, to a, to a probation office hearing or something? You know, everybody's standing up with a, you know, and putting and, and the smoke is just going all over the place. Well, you know, I had people leave the church. Of course I did. Of course I did. Um, so I tried. I said, look, what if we're here today? That's always a good one, by the way. Or grandkid is even better. Right? What if it was your kid or your grandkid? And, and, and then people are like, yeah, okay, maybe on trial. But when we start baptizing them, and now for, let's just say for the past 10 years, so no one, no one flushing that anymore. I had a deacon got up, walked out of the room, and said, I'm not letting anyone who smells like smoke play for me. I said, You've seen the movie, uh, what's the movie, the new movie that's out, in the name of Jesus, come out, or come out of him. Or, yeah, so, yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to see it, because I need that like I need a whole thing. But my point is, is that you can't go from a deliver. you can't be total de- deliverance on this, because if that's true, then you don't need coaching, you just need deliverance, right? But we already know that deliverance and coaching 
in the spiritual context can go together because, you know, what comes out, you have to replace with something new, right? Okay, so, you know, who's going to, how are you going to do that? So coaching can work into that. When you talk about mental health, one of the biggest things that people in the pews will never tell you that they're struggling with mental health, anxiety, or anything like that, although I guarantee you that one in three in every one of your congregations is struggling with some kind of anxiety or loneliness or something that's debilitating their capacity to do anything, right, to come out of the house. And so when you start talking about that, you have to say, listen, there is a need for professional counseling and diagnosis because what you think might be a demonic oppression may not be, right? And you got so you got to get to do your homework, right? That, so that's what I'm saying. Do your homework. Don't go off on, you know, we got the answer to this. No, 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 no. And I think what was the other one? Supernatural healing, right? So it may be delivered. Yeah. But, you know, you pray for people. Sure. You pray for people. And, you know, they may, I had a guy, he said, you know what, Pastor, I can't believe it. You know, I was a drug addict, I was smoking cigarettes, I was an alcoholic, right? Pornography, the whole deal. And, and, and so he gets prayed for, he's completely delivered, right? Three months later, he comes in and says, hey, you're never going to believe this, but he says, God delivered me of all of those things, but there's one thing that I can't get rid of. I still have this, and it was some kind of a perversion, you know, perversion thought. And I'm like, well, <clears throat> you know, we're going to coach you, that's what we're going to coach. So even, even the healing part of it is never complete, right? Right? Look at uh, Jacob. Boy, he's good. <laughs> Will it work? Because, you know, right, lies the limit there. To remind you that I'm God. Right? And so uh, I, I hope that answers your question. But if you do it carefully, you do it very, I, you know, just be, it creates a lot of vulnerability in your leadership where you have to say, I'm not sure. You've got to call people in with, who are, have expertise in terms of the mental health specifically, and the recovery is a little bit easier because, you know, people, you know, have it, but have more skills on that, but the mental health is a tough one. Okay. Do I go off my meds? Please, no. Yeah, please, no. Don't do that. Yeah, right? Good stuff. Okay, so the question is, am I discipling everyone in my, my church? I hardly, I, hardly, I hardly do coaching in my church anymore because I developed disciples. And I'm no, I no longer have to prove that I can do it. I know I can do it. So even if someone can't do it as well as I can, they can always come to me. And that's the conversation that I have right now is our I'm coaching this person. We're bumping up against the walls. Help me through this. Happy to do it, right? Otherwise, I'm doing triage and I'm handing people off, right? Go see this. Hey, Michelle, Nicole, come over here. I want to introduce you to so-and-so. She's brand new or just revealed something, and I want to develop a relationship, have a conversation with her, and come up with an action plan. I don't, that's about as far as I go. And they keep moving them around. Networking, all of those things. There's skill sets that, that come out of it. And so I'm giving you a tip of the iceberg, I know, but God bless you. Okay? Thanks, everybody. It's been wonderful.